Hello, my name is Steve Brown, and I'm the worship leader at Vintage Faith Church. At Vintage Faith, we believe the Word of God is what changes and transforms a person. We hope you enjoy the next 30 to 40 minute sermon of the Word of God being proclaimed and explained. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. Just a, a few announcements before we get going today. July 11th, uh, Donna's been passing out the flyers for our barbecue. That's going to be July 11th after worship. Um, bring uh, a dish to pass, bring some meat to grill. Uh, we'll have the grills fired up and, and some games and some fun going on. Um, that's July 11th. Pray for good weather. As some of you may know, Betsy Calabria's sister is struggling. She has cancer, and uh, Betsy is down there in Virginia, and she, she's going to be there until, I, I believe, mid-July, and she's taking care of her. Um, so we, we would just ask as a, as a church that um, pray, pray for Betsy's sister, pray for Betsy and family. Um, it's heavy. She, she's going through a lot. Um, as you might imagine, and she's in the midst of uh, her sisters in the midst of treatment right now. There is a GoFundMe page that, that is set up if you'd like to give um, because her sister's going to be out of work uh, for some time, and Betsy traveling back and forth. Um, so money for bills, money for food, money for expenses. Um, that GoFundMe site is on the Vintage Faith Church Facebook page. And it's pretty easy to give. You, you can just, if you've ever used GoFundMe, it's, it's not difficult. So keep her in your prayers. And if you would like to give to that effort, you can find the site through the Vintage Faith uh, Facebook page. Our text today, um, we're still in 1 Peter, but the text that we're going to read here is 2 Peter 1, 16 to 21. I'm going to read that in a minute. We're going to hear from Evan today. Evan's going to unpack the word. He is one of our elders. Um, I'm excited to hear what, he, what God has, has shown him and how uh, he divides the word today. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so let's read. We're in 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 to 21. This is God's word. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. 
Am I on, Ed? Good morning, Vintage Faith. Happy second week of summer. What's the high today? 96. Um, I have family members that like to mow the lawn and play golf in this heat. No, thank you. Uh, we should probably talk with God before we begin. If you don't mind, please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you very much for another day. Um, it's, it's always appropriate and fulfilling to, to talk with you. Thank you for uh, leaving us all with uh, what we call revelation. You, you've, you've made yourself known through um, creation, through our conscience, and, and through scripture, which we'll be looking at today. We want to acknowledge you. We want to grow in the faith. Please help us all here do that this morning. Um, everyone in here is in, different, in a different season, I'm sure, and you cover all those seasons. Please draw everybody near to you this morning. Help us rejoice in our salvation. And um, may we all have a spirit of discernment, too, as we're looking at the text this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we've been studying the historical document known as 1 Peter. And this, this is our ninth week doing 1 Peter. The texts that you see up there, weeks one through eight, those are the texts that we have exegeted together. Uh, we are on our way to being quite the scholars in 1 Peter together. And then today's text will be 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 to 12. Now, I wanted to first observe the author of the text, Peter, before we get to the text this morning. Why do I want to look at Peter first? Well, one reason is because we're spending 21 weeks in one of his documents. Another reason is because in Acts 2.42, right after Jesus ascended back to heaven, it said the early Christians were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, in our, in our document of 1 Peter, Peter claims that same title. He claims to be an apostle. Another reason being that our, our Bibles is, is, is a theanthropic book. Theanthropic. Theos, God. Anthropos, human. In other words, the Bible has a divine and human nature to it, so it can speak to us. It's not otherworldly. We can learn from real people, in this case, Peter, and it just, it just reminds me as I'm reading the scriptures that God is personal, he's relational, he, he interacts, he's involved in humanity. King of Israel, David, he kind of spoke of this, this divine and human nature to the Bible in 2 Samuel. He said, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. And as we, that scripture we read this morning if, if you caught that, Peter also summed up that last thought. So um, if I lost you on that, basically, in a nutshell, I just want to be mindful of Peter from biblical history as we look at 1 Peter. So if I may locate where Peter enters the scene in biblical history. That's our text that we read this morning. Peter Piper picked a peck of, oh shoot, wrong Peter, wrong presentation. <laughs> wrong Peter. Okay, there's, there's our author, okay, first Peter. Who authored the document? Well, the very first verse, he identifies 
himself as the author, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, okay? And then more evidence that Peter wrote it later on in the book, he says something that, that fits something that he would say because the kind of language he used, he used uh, comes from something Jesus said to him. Um, so you see there, 1 Peter 5, Peter said, I exhort the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And um, over in the Gospels, Jesus had previously told Peter, he said to him, Peter, tend my sheep. So there's a little evidence for you that, you know, Peter is our author, but where, where, does, he, where does he come from? Who is he? So I want to go to the Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. The Gospels are the biographies of Jesus. So the context here is uh, Jesus went and was baptized by John in the Jordan River, and then he was sent into the wilderness and had his temptations, and that brings us to this section here in the Gospels. I'm using the book of Matthew. Oops. Okay, so now when he, Jesus, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. Okay, it goes on to say, Now while walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Later on in the gospel, it, it says, The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, Peter, first Simon, who is called Peter. Okay, so there it is. There he is. Uh, real quick, we're mindful of Peter. And what conclusion can we make so far just by you know, backtracking a little bit? Well, we find out that Peter walked with the one we worship. He walked with God. He walked with Jesus. He hung out with Jesus. And eventually, he would be an eyewitness to the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection of, of Christ Jesus. And if I may, another thing that I like to, before we get to the text, another thing I like to be mindful of when I'm, when I'm reading scripture is that when I read the Bible, it's not myth, it's history. It presents itself as history. It puts historical crosshairs all throughout the text. I mean, by nature, it's, it presents itself as verifiable and falsifiable. Simply put, when I'm reading something like first document, I'm, or first Peter, excuse me, I'm reading about real people in real places, in real events. Now, an illustration came to me recently that goes well with this. Think about this. Um, I drive truck for a living, and a coworker of mine, he's upgrading his license to what's called a B license, and he needed a rider to go with him. So I hopped in the truck. We started driving. I said, okay, where are we going? Where do you want to, you know, where do you want to loop around? And he said, I'm going to go to my stomping grounds. <laughs> And uh, so we go through, I think it was maybe Salve area, I don't know, we were going through the streets and he said, if you like pepperoni pizza, check out that place. Uh, if you like chocolate chip pancakes, check out that place. Which by the way, I thought that was kind of cool because okay, another grown man likes chocolate chip pancakes, okay. <laughs> and he said, uh, you know, golf course over here. Oh, my dad still lives in that house. He was pumped and excited about his stomping grounds, and I was getting excited. Oh, I want to come back here and try those pancakes. Um, so kind of the point is, like, well, how much more excited should we get about God's stomping grounds, or where Peter walked, where Jesus literally walked? Um, you know, Christmas time, we say, 
Emmanuel, God with us. And John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he was somewhere here. So uh, uh, my ple- it's my pleasure to share some photos. Um, keep in mind those texts that we just read. Uh, this is kind of the, if you can just imagine the scene, Jesus calling Peter, okay? So here's the Sea of Galilee, part of it, and that's Capernaum. That's been identified as Capernaum. He was there somewhere. It's cool. Uh, it's another shot, Sea of Galilee. There's Capernaum. Now the picture's just kind of rotated. Capernaum looking out to the Sea of Galilee. Oh, this is great. My computer's out smaller than this. Uh, here's a photo looking you know, on the Sea of Galilee, looking towards Capernaum. As you can see, it's an archaeological site today. This is Capernaum. You guys see Waldo? <laughs> Let's see, I think I have some more here, okay. Sea of Galilee, really pretty. Sea of Galilee. Peter. Now to our text. So this is our text, 1 Peter 2, chapter 2, verse 11 to 12. I'm, re- I'm reading from the, as you see, the English stand- standard version. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, if you want to read along with me, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Okay, let's break this down. Beloved, stop right there. Beloved, normally we zip right over that, read right over it. Beloved, in other words, loved by God. The verse right before this, not on the screen, the verse right before this declared that those believers, they were now God's people. Other usage of this word, beloved, is beloved by one another as Christians, beloved um, by Peter. This, it's just a pleasant reminder. Think about when we write or read letters, if it said, to whom it may concern, or we regret to inform you. So this here is refreshing, beloved. It's encouraging, beloved. Other authors of scripture use the same word, John, his letter, one of his letters. Beloved, we are God's children now. Paul in the book of Philippians. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Again, when I'm at work, I have two different sites. I'm either at the warehouse or I'm at a delivery site. When I'm at a delivery site, I'm I'm with volunteers, um, people who don't drive truck. When I'm back at the warehouse, I'm with guys who drive trucks. So there's, there's just a, there is a significant difference there. And um, just like during the week, okay, I interact with some atheists. And while it's very refreshing and nice to be here on Sunday mornings with, Christian, with Christians, beloved. Beloved. The Christian here, as we read the text, beloved. The Christian is connected to Christ. We're befriended to Peter. And we're linked to each other, all in that one word right there. 
So we start, that's our starting point as we look ahead to see what he's going to uh, address us with. Just consider that it's in relation to, to beloved. Also, uh, let me think. Yes, at Jesus' baptism, you, you have the, kind of the scene of the Trinity there, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son, something like that. This, you know, you know, you guys know this. This is, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Let's continue. Beloved, I urge you, I urge you, okay, so there's two characters here, two characters, I, Peter, you, me, Christians, who's on second, what's on third, okay, Peter, Peter, who we are now mindful of, we just thought about him, Peter, a person, is giving a personal call, I, I urge you, he's giving us a call to follow a course of action. Keep in mind, Peter is an eyewitness to the gospel, his writing, through the, he's, he, his writing is through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the initial plea, you know, we'll, we'll see this unfold, but the initial plea is rooted in the authenticity of Peter, who he is, as an apostle of Christ, and it's grounded in the, in the nature of the Bible being the word of God. That was our, kind of what our scripture this morning was getting at, Second Peter. The human author, there's a quote here, what I'm getting at. The human author, Peter, actively spoke. He was more than a recorder, yet what he said came from God. Although actively speaking, he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. So I urge you, who's that? Christians, us, whom Peter wrote about earlier in the letter. Earlier in chapter 1, he was addressing Christians, the ones who have believed in him, believed in Jesus obtaining the outcome of that belief in the salvation of their souls. That was 1 Peter 1. So now comes instructions for us, the Christian. Now you ever wonder to yourself, what does God want me to do? Where does he want me? What should I be doing? What do I do now that I've come to faith? For me, maturing through the faith and looking back, I remember sitting in my garage multiple days uh, wanting God to come sit down next to me, shake my hand, face-to-face, -face, talk. Okay, what do you want me to do? Yeah, sure, Evan, that's going to happen. It's not going to happen like that. And so, you know, in hindsight, I wish I had, I wish I was more in tune with uh, what's called the letters, First Peter, Ephesians, Colossians, the letters in the Bible, because in them, a lot of God's will is already laid out for us. It's very clear. He's given us lots of, lots of instruction and guidance. For example, Jude 3, earnestly contend for the faith. Well, when I was sitting in the garage, you know, worrying about, well, what do you want me to do career-wise? Well, what is, was I doing what he already has given me to do? As we see in here, I urge you. Okay? Now, in the previous weeks in the, in the book, book of 1 Peter, in the previous weeks, weeks, we saw that there was a call for us as Christians to be holy. That was in chapter 1. Called to be holy. Well, now we're going to, the text is starting to pivot, pivot a little bit. Now he's going to give us some specifics. Well, how do we be holy? And I need to keep in mind, we should all keep in mind that this, this call to be holy, it's not arbitrary. It's in light of being born again, as Peter talked about, as we've seen. 
being born again, saved, reconciled to God, forgiven, not under wrath, given righteousness, heaven-born, heaven-bound, justified, all by trusting in Jesus, all by trusting in uh, Jesus and his work on the cross. And Peter himself said, well, I always say, my, you know, my little finite blood I give at the doctor's office, it cannot compare to the infinite value of Jesus' blood. As Peter himself says, we are redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So again, the duty we're about to get to, it's not arbitrary. Okay, so our text is gonna pivot here. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. So Peter's given us um, another reason why this duty is coming, coming in at us. Because right now, as believers, as Christians, we are sojourners and exiles, aliens and strangers. Or as another author of scripture puts it in Philippians, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Bible commentary stated about this, this, this portion here, the knowledge that Christians have no true home here on earth has been of comfort, especially to those who spend years and even lifetimes away from their earthly homes in the service of Christ. We can even think about Peter with that quote. Peter left Capernaum, and he left his job as a fisherman to be a fisher of men. Uh, what can I say? Let's, let's, let's keep going here. In the first two chapters, we're in chapter two, first two chapters, I counted 18 commands and instructions. We're about to see two of them. We're looking at two today. So beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, now we're here, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. To abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now that phrase is action-packed with words. Now on the surface, if you, you know, step back, take a minute, if we are urged to abstain from something, that implies then we have that something there. In other words, how can I abstain from something that is not there? Well, indeed, you know, we see our text says that there is something there, namely passions of the flesh. So we got them. What are the passions of the flesh? It's not specifically laid out here, but as we know, there's a, a unity to all of Scripture, and another book, another document can fill in the blank for us. So I'm going to go to Galatians, Galatians 5. What are the passions of the flesh that we're to abstain from? Galatians 5, if you want to follow along. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do, but if, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, so we want to hone in here. Now the works of the flesh are evident. I'm sure you can think of some things, but it's laid out right here for us in Scripture. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Dare I say those are not things to put on a resume. 
Now, it's kind of obvious on the surface why we, we are to abstain from these. It's self-evident, but our text, our text will unpack this you know, as to why. Well, there it is. Why? Well, they wage war against your soul. Wage war is a strong word choice. Let's go back to this. Okay, wage war against your soul. So do a little word study on that. You can kind of paraphrase it and say something like this. Those passions, those sins that we just looked at, those faults we just saw, all those things serve as a soldier against our soul, our self, our breath, our personhood. You can consider in your own lives the aftermath or effects that that list has caused you. Yikes. What does he tell us next? Peter, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. He turns here again. Kind of instead, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Keep, keep your conduct, keep. Ongoing, continuous, maintaining, stewarding, uh, possess, so keep. Keep your conduct, your behavior, your actions, your deeds. Keep them honorable. Notice also when it says keep your conduct honorable, well, it implies that we can avoid that list that we just observed. Yes, it's difficult, but it implies that we can and it ought to be daily. And don't forget the beginning of our text, beloved. Yes, this command is placed upon us, but it's, think of beloved, loved by God, Peter, fellow Christians. Keep your conduct. Another usage of that word conduct, which I think really captures this idea, is conduct or manner of life. So keep your manner of life Honorable. No Holy Spirit in you, good luck with that. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that word Gentiles, it has different usage. The, where am I? Here it's said to mean unbelievers. Keep your conduct among the unbelievers honorable. People who don't know Christ, people that have not trusted in him like they would trust a parachute out of a plane. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Uh, the Christians then, the Christians now, they were, they and we are among people with different worldviews, different ideas are out there, hostile culture, okay? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Now, honorable, in other words, good, noble, appealing, inspiring, beautiful. Anyone dislike the sound of those? Okay, now let's do the same thing because it's not very specific here. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Well, what practically does that look like? So we'll go to Galatians 5 again. But the fruit of the Spirit, here's some honorable conduct, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now again, quick answer is that these are pretty self-evident. These are pleasant uh, characteristics, pleasant qualities. But our text will give us, give us another answer why to keep our conduct this way. Let's continue. 
Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So he gives a reason here. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds, your witness, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So take your time through this so that when they, who's they? He just was referring to them, the Gentiles, the unbelievers. So that when they, the unbelievers, speak against you, the believer, Christians, when they bring an accusation or a false one, it'll hold no water as they look upon the reality of your conduct. Perhaps making them think twice, reconsider their claims against God, and uh, thus glorify God. To glorify God means valuing him for who he really is, what is actually true, acknowledging God in his true character, in essence, glorifying God. And what's really neat here, this verse, I don't have it on the screen, but this, this section here, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, this part, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Earlier, Jesus has said essentially the same thing. It's in Matthew 5, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Jesus said, this is the Sermon on the Mount, it's known as. Jesus said, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, your witness, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So that was pretty neat. As far as this last part here, where is it? Good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That was kind of hard to interpret, the day of visitation. There's a couple views without getting too much into it. The day of visitation could, you know, has been claimed to be either when someone comes to faith, you know, here on earth, or when God's coming back and then they will see and acknowledge him. Uh, so I went with a quote from this guy we've quoted from previously in his commentary. On this day of visitation, the unbelievers who are currently slandering Christians will glorify God. This glorification is almost certainly the voluntary praise, so that's his view, the voluntary praise of people who have been converted. Christians living in an unbelieving society must avoid sinful desires and continually maintain exemplary patterns of life so that unbelievers will be saved and God glorified. So he's commenting on our text we just looked at. Titus 3, I also wanted to read to you. Titus 3, again, another author. There's a unity to, to the scriptures. Paul in Titus 3, he corroborates, he corroborates this whole text also. Just a couple, I'll grab a couple lines for you out of the Bible. Here we go. Uh, this saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God, us, may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Then later he says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Now how am I doing with this? How am I doing with this conduct? At home, in the neighborhood, at work, sun up to sundown, I'll share visually 
You know, that they may see your good deeds, that they may see your witness, your conduct, that you've been born again. Well, how am I doing? Well, most of the time I would hope, I'll give you a work example. I would hope at work, I'm like this guy most of the time. Sometimes, Tiffy knows she has the text messaging evidence. It does, this does happen. Okay, nonetheless, it is a goal for us and it is, like I said earlier, that it is God's will for us. This guy. Um, and again, if, if you're feeling a little down or discouraged or ah, I screwed up again, I, I just look to Jesus, go to Jesus because he has already overcome the world. And as we've seen in our document from First Peter, this might have been last week when Anthony was talking. Again, this idea of, well, it is a goal. We are called to grow up into our salvation. That was, in, that was earlier in chapter two. Grow up into salvation. Since also in that same passage, it said that, well, we are different now being born again. Three times it said you're different. You're, you're a holy nation now. You're God's people now. And you have received mercy First Peter, if I may, we can close in prayer. That's just our text. We just hopefully exegeted biblically, Christocentrically. Hopefully we are that much more mature in the faith having done so. Let's pray. Lord God, as we continue on with our afternoon, our evening, our upcoming week, help us all to uh, think on these things that we just read. Always be thinking of you, Jesus, that you're the creator of the heavens and the earth. You're the author of salvation. You made salvation available through your sacrifice. Grace is free, but it wasn't cheap. Help us to count the costs and then help us to rejoice in that we are saved and forgiven. There's lots of things we can thank you for. I just ask that everyone here, uh, that you bless them, meet them where they are, put a pebble in their shoe for them to dig into a letter to find out some areas in their lives that you have already revealed as that is your will for them to do. Well, with that, we thank you, we worship you, help us to live Christocentric lives. Um, we love you, we want you, we need you. Please draw everyone here to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vintage Faith Podcast. At Vintage Faith, our vision is to help people who are far from God to become totally devoted followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast brought you closer to God. For more information, check us out at vintagefaithcicero.com.